Hello, all you reinventors. It's Leslie Jane Seymour, and I am here with a really interesting story for you today. For those of you who are parents, you know who how crazy and I mean, it just pulls your life apart from the inside when you have a kid. You have this nicely organized life and a nicely organized house and you know, apartment or you have a routine and it all is going along and then you have a kid and ah, the whole thing pulls it apart. What happens if you also have some neurodiversity in your life and you have been diagnosed as autistic later in life, not necessarily early on. Um, so you like routine maybe a little more than um, some people, you like predictability, you like all those things. How do you handle it all? And how do you handle work? How do you handle the balancing of all of that? And as women, to be really honest, we get stuck with, a, we still get stuck with an awful lot of all the juggling. And what's wonderful is Sarah Nannery um, has written a book, which is called What to Say Next, Successful Communication in Work, Life and Love with Aut Autism Spectrum Disorder. And she talks about how she got, she got through school, she got through college, she got through grad school, but she always knew she was a little different, but she didn't really know how or why. And it wasn't until her son was diagnosed um, with autism that she went back and actually got a diagnosis which happens a lot in later life as well. Um, a lot of you who have come to some of our events, especially the one we had with the woman who specialized in ADHD for adults and discovered you had ADHD and didn't know it. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation and I hope that listening to Sarah will ring some bells for you about people you know or yourself or your children and make you understand it's not that, you know, far away from what we all experience, except that it makes it harder. It's hard already, and then it makes it harder. Um, and what I love about Sarah is that she found that there was a, an opening in the market and nobody was talking about this stuff and she couldn't find herself um, in any kind of self-help way. And so she created it. So I look forward to this discussion here with Sarah Nannery. So welcome, Sarah. So glad to have you on our uh, podcast. Great. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So let's talk a little bit about you. Obviously, this is about you and um, people who could be inspired with what you've done. Talk a little bit about where you grew up um, and who you are, who your family is. Sure. And then we'll talk about ASD and how you were diagnosed and when. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in the Midwest, uh, in mid Michigan, um, you know, very small town. It was kind of like a rural farming town. Um, and I went to college at the university of Michigan. So I'm a proud Wolverine. Um, and then I kind of made my way to the East coast, um, and ended up in New York city for 10 years, which was a big change uh, for me from small town to, the big city. Um, and that's where I met my husband. And we've now been together for about 10 years. And we have two young kids, uh, my son, who's now five, who's also autistic, and our daughter, who is about to be two. <laughs> so talk about what you studied. And um, when you grew up, I mean, were you diagnosed as a child? Or were you diagnosed much later on? And 
what was your preparation for that and what was your sort of trajectory and how yeah. you changed that? Yeah, um, I had a bit of a, 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 well, I guess different experience, but also very similar experience to a lot of other girls my age who are, were autistic, are autistic. Um, we, we went undiagnosed, a lot of us, um, when I was younger. Uh, now the diagnostic tools have evolved a lot. Um, we're, they're still missing a lot of women and girls and a lot of people of color um, because the diagnosis, um, the diagnostic tools are based on, you know, the experiences of white boys, essentially, like a lot of the medical system. And so, I went undiagnosed. Um, I was just kind of the odd one out, you know, for a long time. I had a wonderful childhood. You know, my parents were very supportive, um, but I never really could figure out why I just didn't fit in with people. I was just different. I thought differently. I played differently. I didn't pick up on social cues. I was always the last one in the room to get the point of a joke, you know. And, um, you know, all through college, uh, I, I studied all different kinds of things because I couldn't figure out what I was supposed to do with my life. But uh, one of the things that really got me through college was being in the marching band because it gave me, um, especially as an undiagnosed autistic person, it gave me structure to my day, structure to my life. I had to be up every morning at 6 a.m. for rehearsal. Every weekend was a football game. Uh, and it also gave me my social network. All of my friends were in the band as well. So uh, that gave me a way to get through college. And then it wasn't until I was an adult, um, just about two years ago, when I was diagnosed at the age of 31 with autism. And that was, uh, that was quite a journey to get that as an adult because it, it really, it led me to understanding a lot more about myself and my childhood and why it was the way it was. Um, and yet I'm still me, so yeah. And what led to the diagnosis? And then specifically go into, because I, I bet you there are a lot of people listening who are gonna say, and we've had this happen, where a lot of people find out later on that they are, um, they're ADHD or they're autistic or are on the spectrum and they don't know it until they're an adult. Yeah, you're right. It, it's, it's happening to a lot of people, like I said, especially to women, but also all kinds of people. Um, so what for me, you know, a lot of what the stories that I'm hearing are that we grow up and we have our own kids and then our kids get the diagnosis. And then we start to look at ourselves and think, oh gosh, you know, some of the things that um, my, my child is doing is what I used to do when I was a child. Maybe I should look at whether I have autism or ADHD. Um, and it did work a little bit that way for me. I think um, we were already thinking about it for me though, before we even started looking at our son who was, uh, you know, showing us that he was autistic early on um, because I just got to a point in life where I, I got oversaturated. You know, I, um, I made it all through college. I went to grad school. I was a very successful student. Uh, I entered the real world. I got a career. I moved up in my career, I got married and then I had kids and it was just all these things that I was trying to juggle all at once. 
became too much for me to do without a certain amount of support. Um, and my husband ended up being a lot of that support for me, which was both a strain and uh, amazing, you know, um, but it, it did lead to us thinking, you know, gosh, I wonder if there's something else going on here that I could really use more support in different ways. Um, and so that's when we started looking into, well, first we started with, you know, resources for shy people or introverts or um, highly sensitive people is another one, HSP. And some of them were relatable, but none of them really encompassed all of the issues that I was having uh, until we we really looked into autism. And what was it about your son that made you look into it and that mirrored what you'd experienced? Because again, I'm trying to get our listeners, because and I think you're right, I have heard the ADHD diagnosis come through the child, um, but I want them to start thinking about things that happened in their life that might signal that they need to look into this as well. Yeah. Example or two, a story or two. Yeah, sure. So for me with, with the autism, um, uh, uh, two stories. So for our son, we started to notice uh, a very heavy dependence on routine, uh, especially around transitions. So transition times being when, um, when we were picking him up from school and coming home or bedtime or waking up in the morning or transitioning from doing uh, an activity like uh, playing to eating. Um, all of those transition times are difficult for any young kid, but for a kid with autism, it's like times 10, you know, because we, the autistic brain, at least mine and my son's, uh, we like to be focused on something and we like to finish things and we like to be uh, in a zone, so to speak, and to have to move out of that takes a lot of energy takes a lot of hit points, you know, for us to be able to transition into new things and be flexible. So we would notice this with our son. So for example, uh, the routines would help him signal to his brain that a change was coming, that it was gonna be time to stop playing in five minutes and start eating, um, or it was time to go to school now. So for example, going to school, we had a very specific routine where um, we would, we would walk or scooter to where he was going to school, the building. He would go and ring the doorbell to get into the building. He would wait for a teacher to come down the hallway and open the door. Then he would say goodbye and go in. And one morning, another family came to the door ahead of us and rang the bell. And he realized that we were just gonna go right in after the family and not, he wanted the door to close the other family to disappear and him to be able to ring the bell again. And that's like not practical when you're trying to drop your kid off at school, but he had the biggest, you know, we call it a meltdown where uh, things just um, imploded on him and he threw himself down on the sidewalk, which is very scary for me, you know, as a parent. So I took him aside and I talked to him about it and it, you can't it's talk to him about it. He's three, so he can't really say much, but I was able to just work with him a little while to calm him down and find out that it was the buzzer that was the, he wanted to ring the bell. So from then on every morning, I would just make sure that we were, uh, we would hang back for a minute if another family was going in so that we could then come up to the door after it had closed and he could ring the bell 
And it just gives him this one little moment of this is the same thing that happens every day and it means I'm going to school now. So it's a tool for his brain. Um, and then uh, another type of thing that would happen, especially for me in childhood and that we started to see with him as he was getting older is this uh, sort of inability to interact with peers um, people who are the same age group, he was very connected. He would, he would want to interact with the adults and the parents and have conversations and, but not really connect with the other kids in, in the playground or the play group or wherever it was because they weren't necessarily following the rules or they were messy or they were, you know, not sharing the way that they're supposed to. And so uh, I also had the same experience as a kid. You, you start to gravitate toward the people who make more sense, which is the logical adults in the room, as opposed to the crazy kids running around. Wow, you're ringing so many bells with so many people I know. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and um, now, how is the spectrum discussed these days? Because um, there's, a, there's a large spectrum right you can you can have autism or you can or do they still i mean do they still talk about the spectrum and how do you place yourself where you are because some some children are not functional and then others are yeah it's so they do talk about it as a spectrum i think that there's a little bit of misperception because when you often, when you think of a spectrum, you think of like the rainbow and you think of it as a linear type thing from one end to the other, but actually the word spectrum and the way it applies in um, autism and neurodiversity is almost more like an infinity symbol where it's a whole spectrum. It goes, it's, it never ends or maybe like a sphere, you can think of it that way. And so when you talk about someone who is on the autism spectrum, they're not necessarily gonna be at one end or the other in terms of functioning. They're going to be at various points along that spectrum when it comes to different traits. So someone who's, a, this is why, you know, you say when you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person because we're so diverse and we have so many different traits when it comes to autism. So one person with autism may be perfectly friendly and very able to pick up on social cues and yet has to have a, an exact specific routine every day and has very specific special interests. Another autistic person might have trouble with the show, social cues and the body language, but uh, not really have any specific special interests. So you have to you know, think of it in terms of a, a sphere and a person having various points along that sphere as opposed to functioning high or low. So how does that affect you as an employee? Um, and then we'll talk about being a mother because the motherhood thing, frankly, sounds like all of us, you know, like, yeah. and all of us in a situation where we're, we're executives and we're trying to work and we're not getting enough support. I mean, it, what you were talking about there was, I felt that same, like my, you know, the only way I described having a child was if someone took your handbag and just dumped everything on the floor and mm -hmm. every morning you had to put it all back together before you got out the door. Yeah. Not just every morning, but all every day, all throughout. The yeah. Whole <laughs> and it, I mean, and you don't get any help. I mean, yeah. even the best guys, you know, turn out to be, you know, they, they back up to things they learned when they were children and you find out 
they're not as progressive as they thought they were <laughs> not not because they don't want to be they're educated they know better but they think you know they go back to what they learned when they were little kids about you know the division of the sexes mm -hmm. traditional gender roles um okay so talking about work first <laughs> and then we'll get into the the marriage and the motherhood um so for me at work um I, I've always gravitated toward work that was very detail oriented and um, quiet, uh, you know, um, so I gravitated toward office uh, environments where I could sit at a desk and be at a computer and doing work that way. Um, and, you know, I've grown a lot in that space, uh, mostly due to the help and, and mentorship of my husband, who's a very outgoing and people focused person. You know, they say opposites attract very much the case uh, with us. Uh, so he's helped me to develop a lot of those personal skills and relationship building skills, which I now use quite a lot in my work uh, in fundraising. Um, and I think, you know, getting the diagnosis for me it helped me to be able to um, give myself grace in the workplace. So I know now what some of my limitations are. You know, if I'm going to have a meeting with somebody, I really like to have an agenda ahead of time so I can put some thoughts together. Um, if I'm going to be uh, expected to follow up on things, I have to be able to take notes. So, you know, I might tell somebody in a meeting, okay, just give me a minute. I'm writing some things down, you know. And people are generally very accommodating. I don't often have to bring up the fact that I am autistic in the workplace. I usually can just focus on one specific type of accommodation that I need, like if I need the lights dimmed or if I need, you know, like I said, to be able to take a minute to write some things down so I can keep myself organized. Um, that's what I basically am, am doing in the workplace now. Instead of feeling flustered, like why can't I just do it the way that everybody else do it does it? I know now that I need some extra help. Okay, those things don't sound terribly out of line for what I need. I, know. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, okay, I need to take notes too. Okay, yeah. an agenda is really helpful for all of us. Yes. But that's so interesting. And um, what was it specifically that made you think you needed a diagnosis? And how does that um, do you talk? I mean, obviously now you've written a book. Um, mm -hmm. Was this your first book? This is our first book. Yeah. Okay. So what to say successful communication in work life and love with autism spectrum disorder. So you decided to put that out there and how risky was that for you? Is that risky? It was, so it was risky in the, in the, in the fact that I'm putting kind of my personal life out there. You know, if you read the book, there is a lot, there's a chapter in there about marriage, um, uh, neurodiverse marriage. And, you know, we talk a lot about the moments that my husband and I have had, which may not be the best moments, you know, but they're learning opportunities. Um, so there was risk in it in, 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 as far as that goes. But I think the benefit of being able to share the things that we've learned um, as a couple and also with me in, in professional work settings as someone who's autistic, you know, I, I couldn't find these resources anywhere. Like I said, in the very beginning, we were looking for books for introverts and, and it just wasn't written for me. You know, um, I, I don't struggle with being shy. I just don't know exactly what to say when I meet somebody in the pantry and we're trying to do small talk, which makes no sense to me. 
Um, so I do, I talk in the book about why we do small talk, what it means, um, why it's important and some tips for how to do it and then how to end it and get on to the next thing. Um, I talk in the book about um, how, you know, uh, something I struggle in the workplace a lot is prioritization, which has to do with um, executive functioning, which is an issue that a lot of people who are autistic struggle with. I, to me, everything is 100% important. And so I have to get everything done. And that's just impossible when you, you know, when you're a mother and you have a career and your career is already so complicated. Um, so I have had to do a lot of work learning how to prioritize. And I think that's a huge thing when you're in the workplace, um, how to make sure that you're putting your time where you need to be putting it and not spending it on things that don't have as much impact. It's so funny if you didn't say that you had an issue, everything you were saying, I've already experienced all of it. Every person, every person listening who's a woman who has family mm -hmm. has experienced the same thing, obviously in a different way. But what you're saying is, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff that's wrong with the support systems that we have out there for mothers and for couples in general. Mm -hmm. But that it's, you know, it, you're not that far off the mark of what all we, you know, maybe this, maybe our crazy society just, you know, it makes it hard for everybody. And then when you have um, some, another impediment, it makes it just so much more worse. But um, what you're saying is very familiar to a lot of people, I'm sure. So talk a little bit about the juggling of being a mom. If you like things to be very, you know, very organized and you know what's coming next. Good luck with that with children, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the one thing I have to say. I'm, I'm also like things to be very, um, I'm, I like organization. I like the, you know, the cleanly atmosphere. I like to know what's coming at me. And I, boy, is that a lesson in letting go of all of that? How do you deal with that? Yeah, that's quite a lesson. Um, you know, I think, and that's ultimately what ended up pushing me over the edge in terms of finally getting the diagnosis because kids just, you know, they just change everything, especially the young ones. I mean, I don't know personally how older kids are. I'm sure it's a whole different ball game, but, um, cause mine are still young, but, uh, having the young, the young, the young kids, it just, it's so much chaos. And I think, like you said, you know, um, any parent is going to be dealing with that chaos. And when you have this added um, trait or, or collection of traits around neurodiversity, it, it can make it that much harder. And I think, you know, for me, one of the hardest things has been adapting to so much change. You know, kids change every single day, especially when they're young. And I just, I couldn't keep up. You know, I would have figured out one thing with my son that was working. And then the next day it wouldn't work anymore. And I, you know, I'd be like, why this worked for a week? Why isn't it working? And, and my husband would say, he's growing, you know, he's, he's learned how to navigate that. And now he needs another support. So um, that was the biggest thing for me was I, cause I love to be, uh, have things be predictable so that I don't have to think so hard about everything. And I would set up a routine for us. And I'm also very routine heavy. And so, you know, I talk about this in a book as this is an example um, for bedtime routine with him. 
which is very strong for any kid, obviously, to be able to, you know, calm down and get to sleep at night. Uh, but for someone who's autistic, even more so. We were doing our bedtime routine and it had been the same for months and it was time for story and he was, you know, getting riled up and I was starting to dig in my heels like, no, it's story time. This is when we read our story, you know, and my husband came in and he's like, can I have one minute with mommy, please? You know, cause he wanted to just help for a minute. And so I stepped out of the room and he said, you know, uh, he's, he's getting older now. And I think it's time for us to consider changing the routine a little bit, maybe give him five minutes of playtime before story. Um, and, you know, my brain is going on overdrive. What, what does this mean? Why five minutes? What, how, how are we going to get past this? Um, and so I was able to step back and say, okay, I've trusted my husband before. He's been right on many occasions and we did it and it worked perfectly. You know, um, being able to take that step back and recognize that a change is needed uh, is so huge when you have young children around. And that's one of the things that I've needed so much help with, um, but I've gotten a lot better. We now have another young one. She's about to be two and I'm starting to do it a little bit more with her, although it's still, it's like a step-by-step -step process for me. Whereas it's just so easy for my husband, like he does it naturally. Um, so <laughs> it is, it's crazy when you have kids. They'll push you to the edge, that's for sure. And, um, you know, I had a very easy number one and then the number two, we used to laugh and say, if, if we'd had her first, we would have had no other children. I mean, yeah, birth control. She, oh my God, she was, and she's an amazing adult. That's what I can tell you is even if they're difficult as children, they, she was just an extraordinary adult but mm -hmm. getting through that we had, she used to have, and my first one, you, you would say no more candy. It's time to go to bed. And he'd be like, okay, I'll have some tomorrow and drift off and do his mm -hmm. thing. Um, <laughs> the second one was same age, same thing. Say you can't have more candy. I had the neighbors knocking on my door going, should I call child protective services? Like, oh and I was like, no, she's just having a temper tantrum. I told her she can't have candy. I'm really sorry that she's screaming her brain out, but I'm not doing anything to her. She's on the floor. You can look at it, but that, you know, just, you know, different kids and different, different behaviors and all that kind of stuff. So let's talk about getting older. Obviously, um, one of the things that we talk about is age and as you grow up, how you see things differently and how you reinvent. What have you learned? Obviously, you've, um, you know, looked back at your life and changed and seen things that you now know how to deal with. And as you're, you're very young for us, we usually talk to people who are 40 plus, but since you've had an interesting life, it it's, it makes you older because you're wiser. What um, what do you feel that you've learned in the last few years that you didn't know when you were younger? What is what is getting a little older added to you wisdom wise? Mm, well, it's um, a great question for anybody to think about. Um, I think for me, you know, you mentioned it a little bit when you're talking about when you become a parent, you just have to start to let things go. I think. Um, for me, especially being autistic, and you know, I talked about my trouble with prioritization and how everything is 100% important. And I struggle a lot with, you know, unease around uncertainty. You know, like I like to know what's going to happen, and I, I like to know, I like my environment to be predictable. And I think 
um, it's, I've really had to learn to let a lot of that go because I need to focus on the bigger picture, you know, um, what's more important, uh, my family being happy uh, and healthy and moving forward or me knowing exactly what I'm gonna make for dinner, you know, um, there are things that I have to just let go of in order to be able to move forward. And I think that that's something that I, I definitely would not have um, ever thought that I would be able to do that when I was younger um, because I needed to be in complete control of everything and I needed to make sure that my you know life was planned out. And uh, things just don't always go according to plan and that's fine and that's actually wonderful because that's part of what makes life so amazing. And um, as you let go of that, is that just a tool that you learned to do or just by being aware, were you able to say, oh, this is it, so I'm going to let go of it or meditation? What do you use? What? Let's get into a few of the tactics that you actually employ, because that's a, that's really, that would be really hard to let go of. I mean, I know I had to let go of, you know, being uber clean when I had kids. Yeah. Like, and that was really hard for me because I really liked the feeling of being nice and clean. But yes. how did you, did you, were there tactics you used or did you learn how yeah. to let go? Yeah, I think um, for me, and, you know, uh, this could be something that's helpful for a lot of people, but at least for me, I struggle especially with my autism to be able to see the bigger picture. And I get very stuck in the details. And I had to learn with my husband's help um, how to take that step away from the details and really think about what it is that I'm trying to accomplish um, and why I'm here and why we're doing this, you know. Um, why are we doing this bedtime routine, for example, for the three-year-old? It's so that he can have a good night's sleep and we can be able to have our rest time together as a couple and not be, uh, you know, handling him in and out of bed for the next three hours. And so is it okay that I give up a five-minute window to add an element in to make sure that he feels like he's had a good time for bedtime and he can have that rest? Yes, you know, I can I can let go of some of that uh, of control around exactly how things how I think things need to go in order to be a benefit for the bigger picture for the purpose. And so um, taking that moment to step back and ask why, what's the why here? Is it that is the why that we need to have story time right after brushing hair? No, the why is having a good night together. So that's been the key tool for me is moving to a kind of a 3000 foot view of what the situation is. And often that can mean that I can't see anything because it's just foggy for me up at that level. And I, then I have to go to my resources uh, to fill me in on the why. So I might ask my husband, you know, why are we doing this again? Or if it's a work related thing, I might go to my boss and say, just tell me what the purpose is behind this assignment again, so I can reorient myself to the bigger picture. That's great. Do you have any other um, pointers like that um, or things that uh, women would need to know who might be thinking, oh, I wonder if this is me and what I should do about it? Yeah, in terms of the autism? 
Yeah. Or, and yeah, if they're seeing something in your, in your discussion here, or it could be their husband or a child, what would you recommend? Give me just, you know, two or three things that they might want to do from here. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, for someone who's just beginning on this journey in terms of self-discovery or thinking if your child might be autistic, um, don't be afraid. You know, there's, there's a lot of fear that can exist still around autism. Uh, and there, it's just completely unfounded. You don't have to be afraid to know more about yourself or know more about your child. It's just about um, it's not about getting a diagnosis really for something. It's about learning more about that person, whoever that person is, and more about how to be able to support them. Um, and then related to that, I guess I would say, you know, in addition to not being afraid to know more, um, you have to let go of some of the preconceptions or the stereotypes that you might have, especially around autism. Um, you know, it's not all uh, Rain Man, which was a lovely movie, you know, and does have some truths to it, but we're not all the same. You know, we're people who are autistic or who are neurodiverse are exactly that. We're very diverse. And so um, I'm still the same me that I was for 30 years before I got the diagnosis that I am after the diagnosis. I just, I know a lot more about who I am now. So interesting, Sarah. And where can we get the book? Uh, the book is everywhere. It's on, uh, it's in Barnes and Noble. It's in your local bookshop. It's on Amazon. You can find it anywhere. Oh, good. And do you have a website or anything to follow up or it's just the book? Yeah, you can find me at sarahnannery.com. And I'm also pretty active on Instagram at sarahnannery if you want to follow me there. Wonderful. Sarah, thank you so much. What insight. I know we're going to change some lives here because I know there are a lot of people who are going to listen to this and say, that's me. That's my husband. That's my kid. I didn't know. And um, you're so calm. And so, I mean, I'm telling you, if you didn't tell me that you had any different diagnosis at all, we experience a lot, very much the same. So you're living our lives very much the same in the same way with maybe a small sensitivity. So thank you so, so much. And so appreciate your point of view and thank you for sharing. Yeah. Thank you very much. This was really great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on this conversation. I hope you enjoyed that very illuminating conversation with Sarah Nannery. I'm just in awe of her ability to come out and talk about something that a lot of people would not talk about. They're afraid, they're afraid for their business, they're afraid for everything. And I think the more we talk about being different in every case, the better for all of us. It's better for our children. It's better for our society. My feeling has always been like, I get really bored with people who are the same. It's not interesting. I'm always interested in what's new, what's different. Um, and people who are different, think a different way, look a different way, have a different attitude, different perspective. I think you can always learn from people who are different. And I think that's what the beauty of having a community and uh, a life is. 
So I hope you enjoy that. If you did and you still are looking for more reinvention, I hope you will subscribe to Reinvent Yourself, the podcast, and leave us a comment. Give us some stars so other people can find us. I also hope you'll mosey on over to CubbyClub.com. We're doing a lot in the reinvention area. And I have a really wonderful download. It's kind of like my 31 badass tips for launching your reinvention. These are things I've been studying reinvention for so long. Um, Even running more was about reinvention in many ways. And I wanted to package up something that would get you just going. I think the biggest scary part about reinvention is we don't know what's next. And it's terrifying. Sometimes, you know, if you're being faced with a downsizing or empty nest or you're losing your job or having to find a new one. I mean, that transition is really tough. So go ahead, go onto the site, go under connect in the nav bar, pull down connect, and you will see the link to that um, freebie. And I hope it will help you. It has a lot of links inside it and a lot of my secret tips that will get you going. And I hope that you will come and play with Cubby Club more in the future. So take care, have a great day, and we'll see you next time.